Every ultimate experience Ireland has to offer is always within reach with a 182 BMW. The ultimate bowl of chowder, seasoned with Atlantic salt air, the ultimate swim spot, even the ultimate scenic shortcut that happily takes way, way longer. Experience the ultimate with a 24-hour test drive from your local BMW retailer. Because owning your new BMW is always within reach. Visit BMW182.ie. Welcome to Common Ground with Bill Walton, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics, and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Social media is a pervasive and dominant force in today's world. Over 2 billion people are on Facebook, where the like and share buttons are viewed across almost 10 million websites every day. YouTube, with 1.3 billion viewers, gets uploads of 300 hours of video every minute. Almost 5 billion videos are watched on YouTube every day. And Twitter, Donald Trump's tweets, like them or not, were a big factor in getting himself elected president by taking his message directly to voters, but also compelling the mainstream media to report on his tweets. For many of us, this world is opaque. How does it work? What are the key platforms? Who uses it? How can we use it to advance our ideas and causes? And what about social media's dark side, where it's been implicated in terrorism networks and hate crimes? With me to talk about this are two subject matter experts in this, Beverly Hallberg and Mike Thompson. Beverly is the president of District Media Group, a company dedicating to helping people present themselves and their messages with confidence and precision. So I better not mess up today. Yeah, well, you're on the, you're on the spot here. <laughs> <laughs> She's trained members of Congress, organization leaders, policy experts, among other, other professionals for appearances on local as well as national networks and now you're on common ground. Uh, she's also a visiting fellow in communications at the Heritage Foundation and, com and comments on communication tactics in popular and political culture, and has been published in publications such as Newsweek, The Daily Signal, The Federalist, The Washington Examiner, and The Hill. Welcome. Thank you. Mike Thompson, both old friends. Mike, Mike and I have been working together for years. He's a senior vice president at CRC Public Relations. He's been there since 2003. And he serves as strategic counsel to a wide variety of clients while also overseeing the company's digital and social media practice. He's worked with over, Fortune, over, over 50 Fortune 100 companies, movie studios, associations, advocacy groups, startups, think tanks, political committees, and more. Mike has worked on over 25 movies, including 2010's Oscar winner, uh, uh, The Hurt Locker. He's also worked for the World, World Trade Center, Amazing Grace, and uh, The Giver. Referred to the National Journal as a scruffy 45-year-old <laughs> tech whiz whose digital prowess is celebrated in conservative circles, Mike brings a wealth of experience in determining how to best use various communications and marketing strategies, as well as different social and digital platforms to achieve organizational goals. Well, Scruffy Mike, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Who, Who wants scruffy? to go first? Mike, why don't you give us an overview of what social media is about right now? Um, social media is really a way that people are able to communicate quickly with each other. 
um, share thoughts. I think that in some cases it's sharing what's going on in their lives right now. Uh, it's what things they're aspiring to. I think that you could break, for example, social media into a couple of different categories. You have things like Facebook that are talking about what you've just done. Uh, things like Twitter, uh, more so things like Snapchat about what you're doing right now. And then you have other platforms like Pinterest that are things that you're thinking about doing in the future. Um, and it's, it's a fast, easy way on a bunch of free platforms to give people information and to talk about anything that comes to your mind. I, I kind of view it as virtual sharing, <laughs> whether that's you were saying, sharing ideas, sharing your thoughts that you have. But it's it's been a way to whether it's the news or sports or culture, anything related to what's going on in the country and internationally, for people to have a platform to share. So I just view it in general as virtual sharing. There are a lot of different platforms that you can use to do so. Um, like you find with Twitter, that's more journalists that use Twitter, except for the fact that we now read the president's tweets on broadcast TV. So it's it's Twitter's been this interesting thing. Yeah. yeah, where plenty of people see Donald Trump's tweets, even though they don't tweet themselves, because it becomes the new story. So it's interesting how even that it can overlap with broadcast in general. But social media, especially when you think of young people, it's it's where they're going for their news. How much of the content or uh, news do people get off social media as opposed to the old channels, newspapers, TV, uh, radio? I, I think it's tough. I think I think to answer that question, you have to take a step back. I think that a lot of people are getting their are finding their news via social media platforms, but a lot of that news is still coming from other types of outlets. A lot of that news is still coming from the Washington Post, the New York Times, Fox News places like that, and that content is then being shared across these other channels. There, there is a huge growth in um, blogs and, and, and those kind of other kinds of channels, but more and more you see even like the Wall Street Journal doing an online video. So they're doing online video, but that video is often being shared and found via social media. So social media in a lot of ways is really a way to pour gasoline on, on the content fire and really cause it to spread. And what I could even say in addition to that, you even look at, let's say a host on a TV show, let's say a Brett Baer or a Dana mm -hmm. Perino or fill in the blank, a Jake Tapper, people will follow them on Twitter and therefore it drives it back to CNN or Fox News in general and the, st the story itself. So a lot of this is also people creating individual brands for themselves where if you like the person, you're gonna follow them and see what stories they're focused on. So it also allows you, and this is I would say one of the positives and negatives of, of social media, it allows you to self-select who you want to hear from and what you want to hear, <laughs> which I know I'll get to later on in, in the, the yeah, show Yeah, we're going to touch on that. I think yeah. that's part of the fragment, fragmentation of the political culture. You, you get to select yes. what you want to hear. It's, it, so that's a, an interesting side of this well, as and, well. And to, in, in a lot of ways, we were talking about Twitter a minute ago. Twitter's replaced the, replaced the AP wire. Hmm. I mean, when I first started doing PR stuff over 20 years ago, you were still sitting in front of fax machines and trying to put in numbers to, in order to, to get through a redial. And people, news outlets throughout the country were getting their quick breaking news through the AP Newswire. Now, a lot of that breaking news is all found faster through things like Twitter, through things like Facebook Live, and not only from journalists, but also from average people. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the shooting later, but it's not just the shooting, it's everyday news where there's a Facebook Live component or there is somebody who got their camera out and took a picture and posted it on Instagram of whatever the incident was. How many users are there, say, of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, there Snapchat, are, there and, about, and how, do, how do the demographics break down? There are about two billion Facebook users in the world. 
there are over 200 and maybe 30 million Facebook users in the United States. So about two thirds of the population. The, the, the breakdown of the, the different platforms is very similar to the breakdown of our population, except for Snapchat. Snapchat, over 50% of the users are under the age of 35. You're saying uh, Facebook represents a cross-section of does. every demographic? Uh, it does. Okay. Yeah. And what was what was the other Snapchat? Snapchat is is one that sticks out as very different. You can see this there, and, and we can put it in your show notes. But there's a Comscore study that actually shows a breakdown of the age demographics, and Snapchat is the one that stands out because over 50% of its users are 35 and younger. Now, is this the app you were using before we started the show, where you put a funny nose and funny ears on me? I, was, I did. Uh, that's I a, did. That's so, a, so <laughs> any of your audience, if they notice that especially young people tend to look at their phones, especially with a friend, and stick their tongue out and make funny faces, it's because they're putting a filter on their face, usually of some kind of animal ears and tongue. Okay. I, I didn't have funny ears and funny nose. I had a filter. Is that, you is had that a filter. Was? Okay. And, and you can do it now even with voices. I mean, it, it, that's one of the things that's happening with the technology. And, and Instagram has introduced it as well, where you can put filters on and you can change the way somebody looks and the way they sound. It, you no longer need to have that balloon with you and all the helium. You can actually speak into your phone and it automatically sounds like you were inhaling helium. So it, that's, and that's the way technology is stepping in. And, and it's your first real look at augmented reality and the way that, that, the, that technology is beginning to change the way that we can see the world and interact with the world because it's no longer requires something fancy. Your iPhone by itself with its camera can begin to cause those changes for you. And what's been really impressive to me is how Facebook has still kept up, even mm -hmm. though they were the leader of social media, Facebook was, is that even though I would say young people don't go to it quite as much as they used to, even my nephew says that only old people use Facebook, and he's talking about me because I do, but I would say that was also said to me before Facebook Live. They keep reinventing themselves. I believe they own Instagram as they well, do. don't So Instagram is also, I love Instagram, by the way, which is a visual media so even your studio is filled with art. Your wife is a wonderful artist. If you like pictures and photography, it's a place for you to, to mm. post that. Where Facebook is a, is a really good combination of visuals and content. Good place to post your own thoughts as well as link to articles. But I find that what, you, what Facebook is doing is keep, it keeps coming up with ways to compete with the other competitors. I, they're even pushing Snapchat out of the way with what Instagram is doing. Um, so I think Facebook has always been the place, especially if you are more of a news organization or if you write articles. Twitter is important, but Facebook's really important yeah, as and, well. And, and just building off that for a second, mm -hmm. you can again you can look at the same survey. Comscore's been doing it every year, and if you imagine a graph where the penetration is the is the bottom of the axis and the, and the minutes spent on the platform are the are the up of the axis, when you look at that, Facebook continues to be in that top right hand corner both in terms of the, the, the percentage that are that have the app installed and are using it and the number of minutes they spend on it. How many how many minutes does an average user spend on Facebook a day? Oh, a day? I'd, I'd have to go Don't check know. for you, but they're, 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 they're spending... TV used to be six hours, but they, nobody knew whether anybody they, was watching. Spending, it was just on. But on, on mobile, <clears throat> on mobile, the people are now spending over three hours a day, well, with technology, with screens, that are not the television. They're, starting two or three years ago, people started spending more time with screens that were not television than with the television screen. And that was a fundamental shift. 
Well, there's even, even when you take a look at millennials, most millennials do not own a TV, or if they do, they don't have cable attached to it. They may just use their TV to upload something online so that they can view it that way. But where they are watching their TV, they'll either subscribe to Hulu or Netflix mm -hmm. or other services. So they're not getting broadcast the same way. So one question I, I often get from clients is, well, why should I do media if nobody is watching the show, especially MSNBC? They have low ratings. And the reason I tell them, I said, it's because what you get out of it when you put it on social media. If you tweet out a clip of you being interviewed by Chris Matthews, if you're at a nonprofit organization, you get more donations. Right. <laughs> if you get more followers. So there's also, in many ways, there's a cross promotion of all of them. So I even know with marketing some of my clients or marketing my own business, I don't just use one. I use a variety, and there's there's a reason for that. And one of the things you even want to do is change up the images, change the content a little bit, um, so that if people follow you on all platforms, it's not, oh, I just saw this five minutes ago. So there is a strategy behind all of it to try to reach the different audiences. Well, let's shift gears to the how the internet or how the social media is used to promote a cause or a product or something like that. If you're advising clients, where do you start? Where, what do you, let's say, <laughs> let's say we have a podcast that's, uh, that's being broadcast from a speakeasy in an undisclosed location somewhere in the Washington DC area. And let's say that you're sitting in it and it's got some art, things like that. And you're talking with very interesting people. How would you get the word out? Well, part of it is finding people who will share your content. So it, let's say if you're newer to this and you don't have a lot of people following you on Twitter, you don't have many people who are friends with you on Facebook or like your business page, what you need to do to start building up that viewership in the, the following is to interview people, maybe in your case, to, that do have large followings and have them tweet it out. So there's you, you a way- You both told me you had millions of followers. Uh, is not that... millions, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think, I'm, I'm I think, hiring her to be my publicist to, to tell more people. But, excuse me to interrupt, but Mike, <laughs> Mike did, did, did design uh, For America, and mm -hmm. For America has how many friends on Over uh, 8 Facebook? Million fans. 8 million. So, Over 8 million fans. So, yeah. No, I think, I think so that, make sure you know, he shares this. Anyway, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt. <laughs> continue, continue with your point. It was interesting. But I, I, think to, I think to what we're talking about is the fact that, like with any business, you need to find out where your, mar where your target market is and then figure out the channels that communicate to it. Um, there are lots of social media channels. There, there are um, lots of graphics that show all these different opportunities. Um, the analogy I like to use, and it's not an analogy that, that I created, it's an analogy that I read in one of the social media things, is that social media is free, but it's free like a puppy, not free like a beer. You and I could go out and we could all share a beer. I could buy you guys a beer, you could, might buy me a beer, we'll thank each other, we'll walk away. But if you give me a puppy, I have to take care of it. I have to pet it, I have to feed it, I have to take it out for walks, I have to clean up after it. And for me, every social media platform is a puppy. So when you're a business, when you're an organization that is looking to use social media, you have to ask yourself, are you ready for the puppy? Are you Because once you start Facebook, you have to continue to engage with it. You have to post on it. You have to regularly update it. If you're going to have a corporate or organizational blog, you can't just not update it for six months. You have to take care of these things. And so part of what you're doing is you're figuring out where your audiences are, and then you're deciding which channels you're willing to invest in to keep them up to date as part of that marketing cause. 
Yeah. And I, so even with my business, we've tried to figure out what makes the most sense. We have a social media calendar for both Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram are building, but we decide not to do Snapchat. And the reason why for my clientele, it didn't make sense to do it. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe it makes sense in five years, but as of now, that wasn't a place we wanted to go. 16-year-olds can't afford your rates. That's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) They're not ready for prime time yet. So that was part of it. But no, it's, there is an investment that, that I have put in. I encourage even my clients to put into of figuring out what your social media calendar is and you have to plan it out for the week because it's work it takes time and I even know a a lot of nonprofit organizations getting let's say scholars to tweet out their information their articles I even tell a scholar to tweet out their their white paper and that can be a challenge but you find in so many different organizations they're looking for social media experts to help the staff who may not be so inclined to do so and because and I think what what you touched on is critical and that is that it's not easy and you can't treat it like a checklist. You can't walk in today and say, I have to do a Facebook post, 10 tweets, and three Instagram posts and and just knock them out in the morning. Oh, that was easy. It's done. Every time you communicate, every time you post something, there has to be a strategic reason for doing it. What will that post do for you? And making making sure that you do that takes some thought. You know, how do you create the engaging image? that you're going to attach to that tweet? How do you create the really good graphic that's going to go with that Facebook post? And then how are you going to leverage that to achieve your goals? Well, I, I, I'm still a, a, a uh, email user, heavy user of email. And at that, my inbox, you, you, people, things show up. And after the third time in an hour and a half, you tend to get annoyed and want to start <laughs> delete, delete, delete. So what's, what's the right pacing for, say, tweeting out or if you're not the president of the United States, what's the right right depends pace on, to tweet? Depends on the organization and what you're doing. Yeah. And a news organization may tweet a lot because it's tweet every story that goes out. But even there, you're you're beginning to see more and more organizations create different channels. So you might have a master channel that you're putting out a lot of your stories out, but they'll create a technology channel that are all, all their technology stories are going to. Um, so you want to narrow cast. You want to make sure that your particular content goes to people who you already believe have right. an interest in that. And, and imagine, it's, it's like, imagine mm-hmm. with this podcast, imagine with, with any other channel that you create, it's no longer just about the mass number. You, the New York Times may have a million subscribers. Who cares? That's not a million people that are reading every story. What you care about is if you have, if you have a cause, whatever that cause is, you want to hit the right 10, 20, 30, 50, 100,000 people that proactively care about your cause. And if you can create communications that get them activated, whether it's to give money, whether it's to go volunteer for the cause, whether it's to call Capitol Hill or call their governor, that's where the power comes from. Now, where would you go to 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 learn about this some more i mean are there are there are there apps for example that schedule your tweets and your posts and on facebook et cetera, et cetera? i mean are there would anything you recommend that people would use to uh, to do this yeah you can schedule it out in advance which can be helpful but honestly what i would say if you're brand new to this just find someone you know who does use social media and watch what they do and just dabble in it a little bit like get a facebook page mm-hmm. get some friends because part of it is is viewing what other people do just yeah. seeing okay what what is the rhythm? What does this look like? Let me get used to the the platform. Like I find things like Facebook and Instagram um, 
very user-friendly. Twitter would come after that. I think Snapchat is can be very confusing um, unless you're just really familiar with it. But in a lot of ways, if you're brand new to it and just trying to get used to it, I would just find somebody, friends, family that know how to do it. But if you're looking to invest in this in your business, I would hire someone who, who is an expert. Of course, you can Google things and read about it. But a lot of times, it's just having somebody hands-on with you, guiding you through it. Yeah, I think that... Um First and foremost, you need to you need to get involved in the platform. Mm -hmm. If if you're if you want to use Facebook for your business for your cause, and you don't have a Facebook account, you, the first thing you do is go set up an account and go start interact and engaging with Facebook. Um, once you've done that, you'll begin to understand what it is that people are trying to either explain to you what they're what what you need to do or whatever. I think that there are some resources for folks that want to try and learn. Um, there, there's a great resource out there, um, Social Media Examiner for example, um, has been around for a long time. It's a great uh, resource. It has a, pod, a weekly podcast, a wonderful website. They, they do a huge conference so that's in an California. So that's, that's a website? Socialmediaexaminer.com. And then they do podcasts? And they, they have a, a weekly break, podcast. Yeah. Um, they do a big conference out in California every year. I think there were 7,000 people at their last one, um, folks just on social media. Um, but they also have a lot of resources that it'll say, hey, here are eight ways that, you know, you, your brand might be able to use Instagram. And it, it's, it's great, especially for when you're just starting, um, for small businesses, for small organizations that are just getting going. It's a lot of tips and, and a lot of how-to things. Um, but I think that ultimately, as you grow, you will find that you either need to hire experts to help you or, and, and bring them in-house, or you're going to need to hire a firm or an agency to help really take it to the next level. Which, which organizations are the most effective users of social media? And oh, uh, success stories? <laughs> uh, how about disasters? How about different? I think different groups have, some have been successful, some of the same groups have been very successful and, and not so. Um, I, th I think that uh, there are certainly some groups out there that, that uh, have been successful in social media. For example, um, just recently, Tea Party Patriots when USAA pulled their ads from Sean Hannity's show, uh, they leveraged email and social media in order to put pressure on USAA. Um, and they were able to drive... USA was a big U advertiser. USAA was a big advertiser. Okay. Um, and, and weren't they also advertising on Rachel Maddow? They were, didn't they, they were, try to use the excuse that they don't uh, advertise on, uh, on political shows? shows? Yes, on opinion shows, yeah. Um, but right just as that information was coming out, that information came out just after this effort had started because you began to see so many different people react negatively to pulling it off of Hannity's show. Um, and, and the Tea Party Patriots were able to leverage both social media and their email activity in order to drive lots of people. And I got to tell you, here's one of the one, a great corporate, how corporations can use social media story. During that entire fight on Twitter, you had all these people going to USAA and complaining about, why are you playing out? I'm going to go take my, my insurance business elsewhere, that kind of stuff. And Geico started stepping in, and Geico started messaging into them very publicly. Oh, you want to switch? Here's the link to come switch to Geico. And they, were very, they jumped very quickly. Another, another corporation that does really well on social media is Wendy's. Wendy's has some great social media activity in terms of uh, pop culture and timely and those kinds of things. Well, it brings us back sort of where we started. I, I, the, the social media piece of it is it used to be media was a one-way communication. You had the company or the broadcaster, and we were the passive recipients of it. This is, this is social in that you were 
we're getting at influencers, influencers of each other. And it's you build your brand based on your ability to command the attention and respect of, of your of your group. I mean, how would you how would you go about doing that? Well, I think part of it is figuring out what your brand is. So yeah. I think it's it's a combination. There, there's what is the brand that you're trying to sell either for yourself personally or for your company? And all and all of this, too, is to show personality. So this is supposed to be fun. So if you can find ways to engage in just general interest that people have mm -hmm. to your content in general, that can be helpful. This is, for example, where Facebook Live can come in. So let's say you like politics but you like baseball, you go to the congressional baseball game and you do a Facebook Live and you combine the two of those. So anytime you can combine that aspect, mm -hmm. um, you get a lot more followers that way. So I would say a lot of this too is just determining your brand because if you only tweet out, let's say articles, um, if you don't have good visuals, if you don't have anything that's entertaining, it doesn't tend to do as well. So I'll even give you an example of someone who I think does a really good job with brand, and that's Dana Perino. So her dog is very much a focus of <laughs> her content. So Jasper, he made it a book was written about him. Everybody knows she has a dog named Jasper, and that makes people like her more. So there's this element of showing yourself, showing your personality. And, and I would even say brands that do well tend to show not only who they are and what they represent, but give people an experience. So this is also why you see so many organizations taking political stands on certain issue areas. People can choose whether or not to boycott it, but you find that people want to go to Starbucks per se if they agree with the motto of what Starbucks is. I just went to Starbucks before I came here and I, I saw that Lady Gaga is teaming up with Starbucks and they have social media posts on that. And so if you like the brand that Lady Gaga is, maybe Starbucks is your coffee. If you don't, probably want to go to Seattle's Best or whatever else is there. But there's a lot of um, what they stand for is also being woven in and should, um, even for you personally, so that your audience feels like they can connect with you. There's a connection from it. Well, in the Lady Gaga category, I think I learned that Kim Kardashian gets a million dollars for a Facebook post. Mm -hmm. There, I, At least as a couple years ago, there were times when she was then was being marketed that way. Why? Because, because she has a lot of followers. Because she has built an incredible personal brand yeah. of, of people who care about what she wears and what she's saying. Um, and that, that's actually led to a lot of, of new regulations that have come out through the FTC and, and folks like that. Well, this gets at one of the things that I find, I don't know, if influencers, your friends, you listen to your friends, you go do something because you've got a real personal relationship with them. But when you learn that your friend is being paid a million dollars to push something, at some point you're just buying from another corporation. You're not buying from a trusted friend. And it seems like if you, if you, if you monetize your influence, at what point do you lose uh, the trust factor? Well, that's always the balance, but that's been true forever. I mean, that, that's, that's true for anybody that, that is trying to build a personal brand and wants to go be a speaker and is getting paid $25,000, dollars $100,000 for a speech. I think, but again, I think that's why the FTC and others are beginning to look at regulations and have begun to implement regulations where if you are being paid to post something, you have to indicate that you are being paid to post that um, so that folks understand that there is a financial relationship, um, just like you're seeing more with sponsored content where it is easier now. One of, one of the best things going on the marketing world is sponsored content, but they want to make it clear that that content is sponsored and not native to 
Forbes or the Wall Street Journal or Fortune Magazine or whatever. And well, I would say the yeah. sponsorship of it is, is something that we've seen for years. It's just maybe promote a little bit of a different way in social media. But look at mm -hmm. sports stars. So a huge Golden State Warriors fan. They just won the playoffs. So I have to mention that. Thank you. But Steph Curry, Under Armour was the brand that he chose. And yeah. it increased the, the value of Under Armour. I don't even know by, by how much it did. Well, people know that he only wears those shoes and he's getting paid to do so. But if you like the person you're fine with it. So I would say if people are following Kim Kardashian and like what she represents, they know she's not gonna promote something that maybe she isn't at least willing to say it's okay, it's an okay product. Like she's not gonna wanna promote a product that's completely I, I, disastrous. I, I, and, and I think your point, I, I, if you disclose the, the relationship, mm -hmm. I think it's all fair. I mean, look at, and look I'm at not a big fan of regulation, but I think that reg is a really good one. Right, and, and if you go, you know, showing my age, you go back far enough and you see Mean Joe Green, walking off the field and tossing his shirts a little kid with a Coke. And I remember and, that, Ed. Or, or <laughs> go back even further. Luckily, I wasn't alive then, but when, when TV was mostly live, and literally you'd have, you would have somebody who's involved on the show and turn and pull out their cigarettes and start smoking the cigarette right there as the commercial. I mean, it's been going on for as long as there's been, you know, these kind of mediums. There, I, shifting gears just a little bit, the, the shape of the social media world, it's a subset of the internet. And the internet, people thought of as completely open, you could have access to everything on it. And there is a trend though for people to spend more and more time just on Facebook and not, not leave Facebook and or just on Twitter, maybe not, maybe that's not a good example. Is there, is there a risk of, of uh, Google or Facebook getting too much control of what happens in the, uh, in the blogosphere or internet sphere? There's always a risk. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, over 80% of all traffic to news sites is driven by either Google or Facebook. Google and Facebook control over 80% of the advertising dollars that are going on online right now. Um, and it's interesting, um, at some of the big film festivals now, um, Google and Facebook have started showing up. And some of the agencies at first were really concerned about it. They're like, wait a minute, you, you know, I'm the big agency. I'm the one that's supposed to be working with these guys and bringing their ads to you. But they're beginning to they're beginning to step into that space. I mean, Facebook is now going to produce television-like content that will be broadcast over Facebook. Um, but at the same time, you know, take a step back and remember that first, 97% of the internet people typically don't access. I mean, 97% of the internet is kind of the dark web, the not indexed by Google, that kind of stuff. But Facebook and these other places are successful because they're able to help you find what you think you care about. We were talking earlier about the algorithms and, and, and how you may only see the things that are more, you know, that you wanna see. One of the maybe the big negatives is the fact that back in the day, I'd get the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal and you'd look through the paper because that's how you found the stories. Now you, see, you get an email newsletter that says, here are the top five things that, in the area that you care about or you're in, or your newsfeed on Facebook is showing you what it thinks you care about. And so you are really self-selecting into an ecosystem where you're being to be reinforced more and more of just what you believe. Yeah, I always like the serendipity of flipping pages. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't know quite what you're gonna wanna right. see. I, I, I like that, I miss that because you can see, you know, you, you search for something to buy on the uh, internet, next thing you know. <laughs> <laughs> All the remarketing ads are coming. Oh, at you. you're you're set for life with, right. with ads for that. So, right. 
but th I think that's the bigger fear. The bigger fear is that all three of us can sit down at our computer on our mobile device. We can search for something on Google yeah. and get completely different results. We can all open up Facebook and see something completely different. And you know, if if I were a liberal Democrat and you're a conservative Republican, we can open up our news feeds and mine will say Trump is horrible and here's all the proof. And yours might say Trump is awesome. Here's all the proof. Well, that's a, that's a great segue to the last topic I wanted to talk about, which is how the been used to narrow cast and drive people more deeply into their beliefs without getting any contrasting points of view. Let's continue that thought. Beverly? Yeah, and I, just picking up <clears throat> on what Mike just said, one of the things I do with a close friend of mine, and she's liberal, I'm conservative, we actually will open our Facebook pages just to see what's there, because especially after the, the election, because she was like, let me show all the memes she had were completely different than memes that I had <laughs> on my Facebook page. But I wanted to see, okay, yeah. what is that? Because sometimes you think everybody else is seeing the same stuff. Right. And so you have to think through that. But but here here's what I would say about all of this, too. And, and kind of just one more thing about Facebook. They did get themselves into trouble about a year, year and a half ago because of the way their algorithm was pushing out content and actually right. hiding or not prioritizing conservative content. So there there is an aspect of keeping these companies honest that they aren't self-selecting based on their own preferences, what they would yeah. want you to hear. But I, I think they've corrected that for the most part yeah. because they got into trouble about it. Or at least they've invited conservatives to come meet with them. Even the Daily Signal went, Rob Blue from the Daily Signal met with them. So I, I do think that there's an aspect where they're trying to be honest with that. But going back to your comment on Donald Trump, I do think it's extremely concerning that there is, while it's a great thing to be able to have other points of view and not just use the main mainstream media to get your news, I do think that it can be dangerous if you're only hearing your own side. I think it's dangerous. And I think it's dangerous the way we talk in social media. So it's uh, when you can be anonymous and comment, it can lead to a lack of civility. So I always say like anonymity breeded the lack of civility in many ways. So you will even have people on Twitter who create, create accounts, won't put their photo up, it's whatever their Twitter handle is, nobody knows what it is, who will go on and just say horrible things to people who put content out there. So there are a lot of positives of social media, but there's also this other aspect. But there's, I think a lot of that also isn't just anonymous. I think that, that there are also many politicians. I mean, right now, and, and this has been done, I mean, this is no different than, than when somebody, you know, back in the late 1700s was creating pamphlets and distributing the pamphlets all around. It's just, it's so much easier to do now, and, and anybody can do it. But even, even yeah, but the pamphlets didn't have algorithms, though. No, well, that, I that's mean, that, yeah. I mean, right. this is directed and that, and that's content, the piece. and that's the and, thing. And that, what happens uh, is, you can a politician can make a comment. I think I, I don't remember the exact quote, but Tim Kaine said something like, "You know, we have to fight Republicans in the streets," and all of a sudden, you can take that quote and it can be pushed everywhere, and there are some folks who are going to take that literally, and it might be used in, in a series of memes. Also, starts building out. I don't think Tim Kaine who I didn't vote for, I, mean, I live in Virginia, I didn't vote for him, I don't think Tim Kaine meant, let's go grab AK-47s and fight Republicans in, on, in the middle of Burke, Virginia, or in the middle of 95. But what happens is these memes start getting created, these statements start getting called together because there's a desire to ignite your base, 
to get them to make phone calls, to get them to give you donations. So and the, what starts out as a figure of speech ends up being a call to arms. Correct. I always say Donald Trump made this mistake recently against the mayor of London, who took a statement out of context and tweeted about what, what it. Do you, what did he say? So the mayor of London wasn't talking about the terrorist attack in this comment. He was talking about the police activity, which was increased on the streets after the Manchester shooting. Wow. And Donald Trump said, the mayor says not to be concerned about terrorism. I'm paraphrasing, but it was essentially that's what his tweet was. But he took it out of context as far as what the mayor was talking about. He was referring to the police activity, which was increased. So you do have to be careful because it's very easy to take statements out of context and tweet them out. Um, part of my work with clients is making sure they don't say anything that can turn into a bad tweet or a bad soundbite. Which bite. is important. <laughs> and, I, and, I think, and I think at the same time... That, that's I, being extremely you, careful. When, <laughs> when you, think about, work. you <laughs> think about the shooting that occurred yesterday, um, and we're still learning about the shooter and some things about the shooter. So since this podcast is going to be um, obviously available for a while, let's talk a little bit. We're now in uh, June of 2017. Yesterday. Yeah, yesterday, June 14th in the morning, the Republican baseball team uh, was out practicing um, in Alexandria, Virginia, and a um, deranged man uh, decided to target them and had a rifle. And well, full disclosure, a serious Bernie Sanders supporter who was also uh, using the Internet, using social media to push a lot of really incendiary stuff out. Yeah, and, and, and he, he started firing. And um, luckily, um, a, the, the majority whip was there, um, and uh, he, there, he has protection. And so he had two Capitol Hill police officers, and those two Capitol Hill police officers were able to engage the shooter relatively quickly. Um, both were injured. Um, Congressman Scalise, as, as of right now, I believe is still in the hospital in critical condition, having been um, shot in the hip. Um, there was a, a lobbyist who was shot. Um, but I, th I think that, that with that framework, something to think about is I don't, I'm not going to blame Bernie Sanders. Well, no, and I, I want to clarify. I mean, Bernie Sanders got... What happened to him with this guy is what happened with Donald Trump and David Duke. Right. I mean, you get if you're labeled by your worst of your supporters, that's a problem because right. you can't. Really well, it, I, I'm not. You know, when Ronald Reagan was shot, it wasn't Jodie Foster's fault. Um, it, it, it was a crazy man. John Hinckley is, is crazy. I think that that what the the danger is that there are people like that out there, and the internet and social media. When they begin to have only one point of view reinforced on them, they can take that and quickly migrate to an extreme. And that when they migrate to the extreme, you can see these crazy things, these absolutely horrible things happen. And that that we live in a world where it is, and you see the, you know, when, when people, when ISIS is trying to radicalize people using the internet and using social media, when you see those, they're preying on people who are not fully engaged in the world the way you and I and the three of us would be. And a, and a couple of related points. Arthur Brooks, who's president of American Enterprise Institute, is also a terrific social scientist, wrote a piece on, on trolling, which is you know, vicious comments on anything that you've written or put out there, and it's just part of the world. And he went so far as to associate people who troll with, with personality disorders, which is, which is a separate point story I wanted to make. I used to be... CEO of a New York Stock Exchange company. And back in those days, we didn't have social media per se. We had chat boards. We had Yahoo chat boards. Yep. And I developed my 1% theory, and this is a different 1% theory. 
And that is if you take 100 people randomly, and you just there's going to be 1% of them that are nuts. And so if you have 100,000 shareholders, you're going to have 1,000 people in that category nuts. And they were all on my chat board. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. No. And, and these <laughs> days, the ones that engage. any public figure is just, you have to be prepared for horrible things being said to you. And yeah. sadly, these days with the internet, hopefully people can't find out where you live or you have security to protect yourself. And, and I would say when, you, when you're dealing with what I would call the, the fringe or the, this extreme behavior, nobody's words that they say is ever the, the one. These, Bernie Sanders and others are not to blame for it. It's this individual, and I think that people people are going to do horrible things. There's not a whole lot you can do. However, I will say on that, um, the rhetoric that we have these days is very extreme just in general. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's responsible for it, but I think that there is an element where you have to take that into account. So I'll even use a, a recent example with the Paris Protocol, Paris Agreement that Donald Trump, President Trump pulled out of last week. You had Nancy Pelosi saying that your children and grandchildren won't have air to breathe. I mean, that is a pretty extreme statement um, when it comes to health care that people are going to die. So if you do think through that and think that people are going to die, someone may take a very extreme well, well, let's, step let's for look that. For, let's look for silver linings. And I, I have to restate my earlier story. I mean, the, not everybody in my chat board was part of the deranged 1%. There <laughs> yeah. were a lot, of a lot of lovely people, but, you know, we had our bad days. Uh, do you think that... Uh, there's some silver lining here where because of what happened yesterday that the political rhetoric, uh, Mike's making a face here. Uh. I, I think that I think that there are often You think this is going to last about a day? Yeah, it, well, no, I think it lasts more than a day because the baseball game is tonight. So <laughs> it, might, it might last through the weekend because everybody will go home and disappear on Friday. Um, I think that that we, li we live in a changed world in a lot of ways. And, and be, there, there's because of instantaneous communication and the desire for people to raise money, the desire for people to motivate their core supporters, um, that often Nancy Pelosi will take an extreme position in order to m get more people involved, to make them make the phone calls, to make them send the letters, or, or, or to make them show up at a town hall meeting where the, where the, where the Republican congressman is. I think that, that the silver lining is that everybody can engage. I mean, social media empowers people, and empowering people is not a bad thing. We've often heard about the fact that, you know, it's not new that that power and those, those outlets, that people can use that and use false information to cause people to believe things that are just wrong and to, and to act on those things. And I think it's incumbent upon everybody. If I see a news story that just seems a little off to me, I go check it out. I, I think that you have to, you can't just take everything. I mean, I, I learned a long time ago, just because it's on the internet doesn't make it true. Just because it's in the Washington Post doesn't make it true. Just because it's on Facebook doesn't make it true. And it's up to us to actually go out and do some research, use our brains. I mean, we should be responsible in that way and go find out if it's true before we spread it as if it is. And, and what I would say to that too, I think with power, and this doesn't empower people, power 
with power comes responsibility. So I would Wait, encourage. Spider-Man plug. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So with any with anyone who does want to engage in social media, and I think that's a good thing to do, you have to ask yourself, how are you talking about these issues? So I think there is a tendency to get frustrated and, and you yourself wanting to write back whatever comes to mind. But what I would ask you is, is what are you trying to accomplish? Are you just trying to get the people who agree with you just as mad as you are? Or are you actually trying to change the persuadable middle? As you refer to what I refer to and others do as a persuadable middle. If you really want to change minds, you don't go in guns a-blazing. Maybe that's a bad metaphor right now. But you don't go in that way with your verbal communication. I actually think you make a reasonable argument. So this would go back to even the title of your show. I would say there's a lot more in common than we have with our neighbors than what we realize. Well, and I think that part of it also uh, um, there, there's some research that's being done that people, it's not only that our Facebook news feeds are, are so one-sided. People are more and more self-selecting and, and where they live, and they're being surrounded more and more by people who think more like them or are more like them. And so literally, when I mean, I had friends that, they're stunned. Wait, Donald Trump won? I can't name a single person I know that voted for Donald Trump. Yeah, That's because of where you live. Yeah, this is Charles Murray's book, Coming Apart, right. which uh, talks about how siloed people are Absolutely. And, by, and that siloed, by age, income, mm-hmm. right. whatever, IQ. And, and, it, and it crosses not just social yeah. media anymore. It's where you live. It's who you hang out with. And, and that becomes in and of itself dangerous. And that's why I think it's really important for people to engage in their communities, to spend, you know, to spend time as a soccer coach, spend time volunteering on a, on a local board, do things that, that get you out and see real, because you will find, for the most part, in my opinion, that 99.999% of the people that you perceive as being on that other side, they want to do what's right. They want to help yeah, the community. They're okay. they yeah, they're okay. Yeah, that's the, yeah, yeah. Beverly, you're right. That is the general topic of the show, which is we've got a lot more in common than, right. uh, than, 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 than what separates us. And I think, yeah, just on the institutions, I would say where the breakdown is, and you mentioned even Charles Murray's book, which does hit on this and other books have as well, it's when we lose our community institutions, meaning churches, um, rotary clubs, fill in the blank, civil society, when you lose that, and it's just you and your friends and your social media page, it's very hard to see that there are people with different perspectives, and you remove yourself from helping other people in need. So I know even my church in general, a lot of people have different political persuasions, we agree on our faith, and that's so helpful to be with people who work with different individuals on different issues. So I think a lot of it is our, just our civil society and our, our community institutions. So I encourage people to get involved in their community because I think once we meet our neighbors and get to know that, oh, we have similar goals, we disagree on how to get there, but we're good people who want to help our neighbors, that's how you solve this problem. Mike, Beverly, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And if you want to learn more about what we've talked about today, uh, check out our website, cgtv.us, and where we'll have links to some of the uh, topics we talked about and some of the books and, and some of the ideas. And I'm looking forward to having you both back because we clearly didn't exhaust this topic, but we did exhaust our time. Are you going to sign up for Snapchat? Oh, definitely. I can't wait to draw some ears on some of my closest friends. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Want more? Be sure to subscribe to Common Ground with Bill Walton on iTunes.
Amazon is hiring near you. Earn a competitive wage and start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Go to amazon.com slash apply. That's amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.